Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. After 17 games unbeaten, Liverpool suffered defeat for the first time since April on Saturday at Tottenham. Despite being down to nine men for over 25 minutes and being undone by a late own goal, VAR once again stole the headlines with Luis Diaz's first half effort not standing. PGMOL acknowledge a significant human error occurred oh, no. during the first half of Tottenham Hotspur against Liverpool. Oh, no. The goal by Luis Diaz was disallowed for offside by the on-field team of match oh, officials. No. This was a clear and obvious factual error and should have resulted in the goal being awarded through VAR intervention. Yet after their 17-game unbeaten run was ended at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, is a new belief and resilience growing with Jurgen Klopp's men. I'm Ayo Akimulere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Okay, so with us for this one, we have the Athletics Liverpool writer James Pearce and also Ollie Kay as well. James. VAR once again rears its very naughty head, um, especially in this match. It was a really, really fascinating decision to deny Liverpool a goal. What's the latest with that? And also, what is the latest with Pigmall as well? <laughs> I think people are still trying to get their head around how you could possibly get something so spectacularly wrong as, as we saw at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Saturday night, because I think as we've seen, anyone who thought the VAR coming in would suddenly solve everything, we've you know, I think that myth has been well and truly destroyed over recent seasons. But we haven't seen anything anywhere near the level of that. I mean, it almost beggared belief when I was coming back from London very late on Saturday night and had the explanation from the PGMOL that Darren England had had essentially believed the goal had been awarded on the pitch. So that was why it was such a quick check. You know, he he did the, he drew the lines. Yes, it's clearly onside, check complete. And it's just like, wow, how could you get it so badly wrong? And there's a lot of anger at Liverpool, which is still lingering. And, you know, I think that manifested itself in the statement that came out on, on Sunday night. You know, they said they're considering their options and they said that sporting integrity had been undermined and they want full transparency with this review that PGMOL are, are conducting into what went on. Did I read wrongly, but was Dan Cook refereeing at the UAE just 48 hours before Saturday's game? Yes, well, Darren England, the VAR, Dan Cook, the assistant VAR, and Michael Oliver, who was the fourth official, all the three of them who were on duty in that Tottenham-Liverpool game were all over in the UAE doing a domestic game over there just 48 hours before on Thursday. I think that's part of Liverpool's concern, certainly. There's probably two elements to that. There's the one in terms of fatigue, in terms of that travel. What is it, a seven, eight-hour flight back? They They would have got back at some point on the Friday. Did that inhibit their decision-making and what you know the referees' chiefs have described as a lapse in concentration and a lack of focus. And also, I think there's the optics around it and you know how, how that looks in the, in the context of then coming back and taking charge of a high-profile game in, 
involving Liverpool, who had the opportunity to potentially go top of the Premier League table and uh, making such a hash of it. Oli, Liverpool responded um, with their statement on, on Sunday evening saying that such failings have already been categorised as significant human error. It's also unacceptable. And any and all outcomes should be established only by the review and with full transparency. In the meantime, we will explore the range of options available given the clear need for escalation and resolution. You know, I do think about earlier on in the season where... Wolves should have had a goal at Old Trafford, Ollie. Um, and, uh, you know, clear penalty, um, which wasn't given. And obviously two officials were, were dismissed uh, because of that reason. I mean, what can Liverpool do here? It's not as if, you know, Wolves were given those points. It's not as if that match was going to be replayed or has been replayed. So what can be done right now? Yeah. I was, um, I was fascinated by that, that use of the words. Escalation and resolution, I don't know what they mean. It sounds like a club on the warpath, and I can understand them being on the warpath, but I don't know what sort of resolution they expect from it. James being sort of more intimately involved in terms of the information coming out of Liverpool. James, any any clarity on precisely what they're looking for in terms of escalation and resolution? I did push for kind of a greater explanation on that earlier on today and was told that they were they were looking into what their options were. You know, we we don't know whether that involves potentially going down the legal route. What I have been told is that there's no suggestions at the minute that there are any demands of the match being replayed or anything like that. I know that's been something that's been doing the rounds on social media, but Liverpool aren't, aren't saying that that's the case. I think what one thing they do want as a matter of urgency is for the audio to be released. They talked in the statement about full transparency. They want you know it out there in the public domain. How did this happen? Because I think they were very angry at PGMOL just, what did they take, two hours, I think, before they finally came up with that short statement where they just said significant human error. I think Liverpool's perspective is, well, hang on a minute, you know, you can't just dismiss it as that and we just all move on. You know, we need to know why proper protocols weren't followed. It, it, it just does seem absolutely inexplicable. How could there be that lack of communication between the on-field officials and, and the ones in the the VAR hut. And then surely, you know, within a second or two, it must have dawned on the guys in Stockley Park what had happened. Why was Simon Huper not told straight away that he had to call a halt to it and be told that there's been a terrible mistake here? I know people have said, oh, once players restarted, you can't do that. But that's a nonsense. No one would be complaining today, would they, if if Simon Huper had said, sorry, you know, there's been a terrible mix-up. We need to sort this out. Yeah, I, I think that would certainly have been a, a more sensible time to intervene. You know, even if in the letter of the law, if the ball starts rolling again, players restarted and you can't roll it back. I mean, we've seen there was an extreme example, wasn't there? Was it Brighton, Manchester United a couple of seasons ago where a penalty was given after the final whistle was blown? I think people found it very hard to deal with that, but they could also see it was a it was a correct decision. The fallout from this incident would have been an awful lot smaller if the VAR had just piped up and just said, look, sorry, we've made a mistake here, nobody would really have complained. Whereas this is, it's going to linger for so long because it just raises so many questions about, I mean, I, I agree with what James says about the optics of referees officiating in the UAE, but it also just raises questions about the professionalism, the culture of um, what happens in, in that VAR room in Stockley Park, how closely and diligently they are following the action, whether it is a pressurized environment or whether people are trotting off to the vending machine or, or, or whatever or you know, um, it just sounds like somebody having 
not taken the VAR duty seriously. And I think that is really, for one thing, I tweeted about it on Sunday morning and I said, you know, you can accept human error by referees. You can accept human error by linesmen because their job is so incredibly difficult. Dishonest players, marginal calls, vague rules, the speed of the game. I always sympathise with referees over that. I cannot accept somebody who literally has one job, you've had one job, not doing that job. And, and, you know, when the job is to make sure, double check that the right decision is made. So that is really problematic. And when I tweeted about it, I found that a lot of people are just saying, look, surely you're not swallowing that statement. Surely you're not believing their explanation that it was just a, a lapse. There's an agenda here. I don't believe for one second there's an agenda. The idea of a lapse is so damning of that referee and of the culture of the professionalism within PGMOL that it can only be true. I agree with Ollie. I think I think you know the most frustrating thing for me is we see it all the time with really, this idea that there's a you know the conspiracy, there's an agenda, and it's of course it's a nonsense. There's an element of fans for support. Every club who are convinced that every referee is out to get them. But the problem is when you get something so spectacularly badly wrong as this, it just fuels that. It's incompetence on such a level. You know, you can understand why people would say, well, is there something more to it? And it's like, well, there's not. But that is why, it, you know, it's... And that's why Howard Webb is an absolute mess that he's that he's dealing with there. I mean, I know he's already been in touch with senior people at Liverpool to apologise. But, you know, as Klopp said, when I was in the press conference at, at the stadium on Saturday night when the PGMOL statement came through and he was told about it. Who does that help now? We had that situation in the Man United game. Did Wolves get points for it? No. Oh, we, will not, we will not get points for it, so it doesn't help. And it does come down to, you, you have to say, well, are these people being trained and prepared properly? And that's why I think people will then, you know, go to, well, what, was it the right thing for them to be in the UAE 48 hours before? Because... Why can you get it so wrong? And it's like, these are the cream of the crop, the best referees around. And we know it's a difficult job. There's been this campaign to try and, you know, demand more respect for referees that we all want to see. And no one in the right mind would be saying it's a bad thing, you know, trying to clamp down on abuse of officials. But you respect, I think Liverpool would probably say, well, respect has to work both ways. And I think that's why it's probably galling for them when it's like, well, you know, you had the McAllister one a few weeks ago where he was wrongly sent off. VAR failed to overturn that. Then it was rescinded. You had the Van Dyke one at St. James's Park where I think, yes, I thought that it was the right decision to send him off for a professional foul at the time. But then obviously then he gets the ban increased because he didn't show respect. And it's like, well, where, where's the, I think Liverpool would say, well, where's the respect coming back the other way? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. Resilience from the Liverpool defence. 
Both teams came into this uh, unbeaten so far. Spurs, some might say, were lucky uh, to win that match. But what can we learn about Postacoglu's team right now? Still unbeaten in the league, second at this moment in time. Yeah, it wasn't their best performance, I think, even against 10 men for part of the first half. I think I think they were second best in that first half. They were obviously dominant against 10 men in the second half and particularly against nine men. But it wasn't the most convincing of performances. Postacoglu himself spoke about that and how difficult they found it. And perhaps at times they weren't really getting it right in terms of the build-up, playing against nine men and a packed defence. But you look at the you look at the belief. It's the second stoppage time winner they've scored at um, at home in, in, the, in the last few weeks. For all the talk of Spursy and... Um, fragile and weak mentally and all of that kind of thing. One thing that was a feature of, of um, Spurs under Conte and, and Mourinho at times was these sort of late dramatic wins. But for me, they never really have felt like late dramatic wins of the... There's not been the sort of real fervent momentum and, and real excitement and optimism around Tottenham that there is now under Buster Coglu. I think he's creating something completely different. I didn't think they were great on Saturday, but the ability to win games like that and win them dramatically and win them by going to the end is absolutely invaluable. You, know, you saw the scenes at the end, I know opposition fans are saying, oh, how can you celebrate like that? And you think, well, yeah, enjoy those moments. You're meant to, you're meant to celebrate like, like that. Why would you not? James, let's move to, to Liverpool because, I mean, up until this game in particular, I don't know if it's just me observing, but I feel like Liverpool low-key looking quite a, a, a strong team. They're looking like things are finally clicking into place. And I'm going to take uh, the words from your article saying, you know, the defeat was more proof that Liverpool are a proper force once again. Coming into this game, Liverpool seemed to be quietly putting those components into place the midfield depleted. They've got a decent attacking force right now. Jurgen Klopp seems to have this team ringing quite true again. Yeah, I think that's why it was a real strange mix of emotions, I think, for the players, the staff and the fans probably in the aftermath of that on Saturday because, of course, there was anger at the injustice of some of the decisions. But, you know, and there was heartbreak, especially at the manner of, you know, the, the, to concede virtually last kick of the game, having defended so magnificently and you had to feel for Joel Matip. But it was strange because I think, yeah, despite it being a first defeat since April, I think everyone I've spoken to came away kind of really enthused about what's ahead because that was a proper performance in lots of different ways, really. I thought they were really impressive with 11, kind of resolute with 10 and then pretty heroic with nine. I didn't, see that Tottenham I, I just I, I didn't see them scoring it was uh, Liverpool was so well drilled so well organized and, and as you said you know they the, the biggest difference from last season is now they have this dynamic energetic functioning midfield that shuts down space and can control games and Zabozlai and McAllister have been an absolute revelation and Graven Birch and Endo are starting to to grow in influence as well but I think also that injection of quality and and youth has just absolutely energized the senior players when you know I thought Mo Salah was absolutely exceptional again again it gets lost amidst the fallout but the the quality of that goal that was that was wrongly chalked off the strength from Salah to hold off the defender the quality of the pass and then 
the exceptional finish from Diaz. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, just despite it, it feeling so painful, there was a real, I thought, show of defiance amongst those players and staff as well that, yeah, do you know what? This, this is a proper blow, but you know, this doesn't need to derail anything. This wasn't, I think sometimes you can lose a game and it makes you question everything. It makes you, it exposes shortcomings. It makes you think, well, actually we're nowhere near at the level where we, I thought we were. And it's a real reality check, but I just didn't think that was the case on Saturday. I, I, I think despite the outcome, I, I, I think that probably enhances the belief that Liverpool are going to be in the mix this season. Well, I was just thinking of this sort of new Liverpool and uh, obviously Liverpool have gone through their struggles over the last couple of seasons, understandably, and losing key personnel. I'm just trying to think, you know, this Liverpool 2.0, what, what's changed a little bit? You know, we had this sort of uh, heavy metal football. Um, now it feels like the mentality sort of there, you know, there'll be games like this last season where they'd have gone behind and probably the game would have run off against them. Now they're, they're finding a, a resilience. But the DNA of Liverpool is still there. You know, they are still buying players that not many people know, but having them integrate really quickly, the style doesn't seem to have changed so much. I would say the style has evolved over over Klopp's time. I, I think it went from a very um, helpful leather approach in the, in the early days under Klopp to much more sort of controlled high tempo around the time that they were at their their peak to the peak that led them to you know winning the Champions League, winning the Premier League, and the, the last couple of seasons have been, I'd say, since since perhaps the Thiago signing, it's been more about become more of a possession team. I felt that at times last season they were they were too slow, too slow on the ball, and not energetic enough off the ball. And this season they look they look like a, a high tempo team again. They really do. Uh, Shabozlai has been. A fantastic addition. I, I think he was the one who probably came in with questions about him, given that it was such a big fee, pretty much twice as much as McAllister's fee. Everybody knew about McAllister and his strengths, and, and people were thinking, well, where, where does this guy, Shabozlai, fit in? You know, he look, you looked at what he'd done for Leipzig and looked at him on YouTube, and he looked quite a, sort of dainty, a dainty but energetic player, if you know what I mean. And he's anything but dainty. He's beautifully dainty in possession, but he's. I don't want to go do those um, Stephen Gerrard comparisons uh, again because uh, I don't. I don't think he's doing him any favours. But I see a bit of Kevin De Bruyne in him. In that he's, he's got the sort of grace on the ball. He's got the the absolute intensity and drive going forward. He seems to sort of have it all, and it has contributed to what looked like a really kind of was looking like an old, tired, stagnant, flaky midfield looking like a pretty physically imposing, technically dominant midfield, which it just wasn't last season. So it's been it's been rebuilt. And I, I still think there's the odd question about, you know, should they have got a more specialised number six? Because at the moment we've seen McAllister playing in that role. I don't think that plays to his strengths, really. He's done it really well, but they haven't probably seen the best of him because he's having to do a, a much more defensive role. And I really don't think that was the idea when he signed. But yeah, I, I, I would agree with you that despite this first defeat, despite some some iffy performances along the way in these in the opening games, I, I think they, they look a lot stronger at this point than, than I was expecting them to. Zabozlai has just been an absolute breath of fresh air. I mean, the other players absolutely love him. I know he was like, he was gutted to be left out of the Carabao Cup team like midweek last week because his attitude is, well, why would you not, you know, I want to play every minute of every single game. You know, he's, you know, they have to kind of rein him back in at times because he um, he's so enthusiastic. And McAllister's the same. I think it helped with McAllister the fact that he was obviously Premier League proven 
already. James, we're just talking about or thinking about that integration. Is there anything you know about how Liverpool bed in players, you know, um, what that process looks like from signing to trying to get them up to speed a, 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 as quickly as possible? Well, I think I think a lot of it goes into the kind of the work, the groundwork before they pursue someone because Klopp and his staff are, are, are so hot on ensuring that someone is of the right personality and, and character as much as the, the, their qualities with a, a ball at their feet. And I, and I think, I think that is why they've been able to create this kind of like unity and togetherness that's, that's come to the fore. You know, not just, it, it wasn't like it just suddenly was there at Tottenham on Saturday night. I think it's been there. It's pulled them through in some real moments of adversity already this season. You think back to, you know, what happened in the closing stages at St. James's when you know it came out of nowhere from 1-0 down to win that 2-1. And, and I think that is quite rare to to suddenly have that kind of feeling in the group, which is a quite, a, you know, heavy, heavy changes compared to last season. When you think of some of the big personalities that have that, that departed, you know, you, you lost your captain and your vice captain and Henderson and Milner and, you know, other big figures like Firmino and Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, but I think... You know, and Van Dyke and Trent Alexander Arnold, in terms of the new captain and vice captain, they've played a big part there as well, in terms of making sure that those players that have come in feel welcome and settled, and you know, the, and and no, you know, there's no real cliques in the in that dressing room. So yeah, that's a that's a big part of it, and then, and then obviously the the scouting side of it, in terms of making sure that you you get players in who who, who do exactly what you need in terms of you know, that function in midfield, because that's the biggest thing, the fact that Liverpool have now got that energy and dynamism in that department, because it had gone so stale and they looked so tired in that department last season where they just kept getting repeatedly overrun and out outworked by teams. Can I just say, though, um, this midfield, just from an onlooker, seems to also galvanised Mo Salah into <laughs> the, the mode that we know. I'm not saying he's he's had bad seasons. He's a very, very good player. But the Mo Salah I'm watching right now is insanely good. At 31 years old, considering we had that chat about potentially going to Saudi, he looks very, very special under this new team. With with Salah, you know, that was when when Liverpool turned down the interest from from Saudi at the back end of the window. They did so, you know, safe in the knowledge that he would accept their decision he would knuckle down you know he, he wasn't ever going to down tools you know and that that decision has well and truly been vindicated because he he looks like he's he's had a new lease of life in terms of you know, he's a he's a winner isn't he? he wants to be competing for everything and it would have hurt him as much as anyone the fact that Liverpool was so far off the pace last season so I think he's got a spring in his step because you know he sees this injection of quality that's come into the squad he sees that they now look like a much more complete team and they're able to control games and yeah, incredibly unselfish as well. I think, you know, as, as impressive as, is you know, his goals and assists are again on the weekend, especially when Liverpool were you know, at a numerical disadvantage. I thought he just worked so hard for the team, you know, on the ball and off it to help keep Tottenham at bay. And was the feeling that he had just run himself into the ground when, you know, when he came off? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I think he, it was, it was just purely about just getting on some some fresh legs because he had put a such a huge shift shift in and I, and I think they wouldn't have wanted to take any chances especially with having lost Cody Gagpo to a knee injury early on in the game looks like he's going to be out for a number of weeks you obviously you've got a situation now where Diogo Jota 
will be banned for that Premier League trip to to Brighton on Sunday. So yeah, I think you know both you know, Salah. You'd imagine I wouldn't certainly wouldn't be risking him against Union in the Europa League on Thursday night. And yeah, it just places now much more of an emphasis on uh, on on him to to deliver it. You know what is going to be a really tricky game at Brighton next Sunday. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. Yeah, this brings us very nicely into Liverpool's very devastating attacking force. Let's talk about Darwin Nunes, a player that is starting to finally show a bit of promise. I would say it's, it's all about that cameo at Newcastle. He came on and, and those two chances were, were just incredibly well taken. And they were just the type of chances he had been missing last season. He is clearly in the groove and feeling like he's got you know, more of a rhythm, but I, I just felt that that sort of international break came at a wrong time for him mainly. I don't think he's particularly been able to build on, on the two goals at Newcastle. There was a goal at, in, in Linz in the uh, in the Europa League, there was a goal against West Ham, but that game at Newcastle was five weeks ago now, and, and although he's clearly in a better place and in a better rhythm than he was last season, I feel like he, he's almost got sort of got to start again and 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 really make make the most of whatever opportunities he gets this week whether it's in Europe on Thursday or um, or at Brighton at the weekend. I thought they should have brought him on on, on Saturday. I, I was quite surprised it was that he didn't come on initially and then when obviously when Salah came off uh, and Jota had, had, had obviously left the pitch I, I thought he would have been the ideal person to have just up front on his own but obviously Klopp knows uh, rather better than armchair pundits like me but it, it's um I feel he he will be raring to go again on on Thursday. He will be frustrated really that he didn't come on at the weekend, and he'll he'll be he'll be chomping at the bit. I think he's um, I do feel he's he's in a far better place, but I just think he would probably wish he'd had more continuity since that Newcastle game. He started the next game against Villa, and then there was the international break, and then it was sort of back to square one again. I do think Nunes has has kicked on. I think. It has been a bit stop-start for him. And in fact, I think one of the reasons why Klopp held him back on the weekend was he hadn't trained on the Friday because he'd complained about some discomfort in his knee. And, and there, there was there was some debate about whether he'd even be in the squad. And then I think on the Saturday morning, they decided, OK, we'll have him on the bench. And then he, he was actually just below me getting ready to come on just before Jota got sent off. So I think that 
that then led to kind of a, a change of tact from Klopp in terms of the subs he was going to make. And I also think maybe in the back of his head, he probably thought, well, actually, Gagpo's gone off injured with a knee problem. Darwin's carrying a slight issue. It would be an absolute disaster to, to lose him at the same time as Gagpo. So I, I just wonder whether that played a little part in that as well, because... You know, Liverpool fans absolutely adore Darwin Nunes. They they love the fact that he's got this all action approach. That you know he's, you know he he, he plays like you know his his kind of life depends on it. And you know, he and he has settled in better. You speak to people around the club, and he he's having English lessons twice a week. And you know that was one of the complaints last season that you know, it was difficult that communication. That seems to be getting a little bit easier. And he does seem, I think, more in tune with the players around him. And certainly, yeah, with the Gagpo being missing and, and and no Jota for Brighton next weekend, you know, he Liverpool desperately need him to step up. I, I guess what's really special about this Liverpool attacking lineup, if it's not injured or suspended, is that it, it, it's its power to to recover from setbacks. You know, there's a stat saying that you know only Sheffield United, Luton, Everton have conceded the first goal more than uh, Liverpool so far uh, this season, but Liverpool have also turned the game around much more interestingly. That is a frightening lineup: Jota, Nunes, Salah, Gakpo, for any defender to be facing at any point in the season. I don't think there's a, a team anywhere that's got five attackers of, of the caliber that, that Liverpool have got in terms of the options that that Klopp can can turn to. With you know, we've we've seen him. You've got Diaz. You know, Nunes. Oh, I forgot Diaz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you've got you've got you've got, you've got obviously. Salah with you know the is traditionally taken on the the, the the kind of heavy lifting in terms of the goal scoring, but it, you know I think I think that is depth on a serious level in terms of the those those five elite attackers, uh, and that is why they've been able to dig themselves out of some holes already this season. You know before Tottenham that seven game winning run in all comps they'd gone behind in five of them and, and still found a way. You know it would it would have been intriguing how Saturday would have would have gone because of course they were already down to ten men when the goal that should have stood was chalked off. It, it would have been interesting to see because, you know, I think with, with 10, they still they still would have fancied, you know, especially one that up, they would have really fancied the chances because of what they can do to teams on the counter-attack because they have got so much pace and, and power to, to hit teams with. Mm, and just thinking about the pace you're talking about, um, last week uh, we talking about City and how effective they are, especially when they're, they're a man down and how teams uh, sometimes still feel sort of intimidated to play them because they can turn them over with pace uh, and poise. Ollie, I don't want to start the Manchester City-Liverpool chat this early <laughs> in, in the season, but Liverpool have seen themselves uh, a man down a couple of times this season so far. And they've, apart from this game, of course, they've managed to turn it around. That attacking prowess is really interesting for them moving on. Can we say this is a Liverpool side that's more equipped to challenge for the title as in previous seasons? More equipped than, than last season, certainly. Um, they ran City pretty close. Um, the season before that, it went to the last day and, and obviously two seasons before they, that, they won it. The season before that, again, last day. So yeah, Liverpool are without question looking stronger than last season. Last season was one where they they had needed to rebuild and didn't really, or they 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 sort of started on the re- rebuilding of the forward line, but they'd neglected the midfield. There was this feeling that maybe by starting a midfield rebuild a year late, they sort of neglected the defence, but the defence looks 
I don't know, galvanised by the by the midfield rebuild. But without question, Liverpool are stronger than last season. I, I think everybody expected them to be stronger because it was, it was real underperformance last season. They're actually stronger than I was expecting, despite the defeat the other day. I guess it's just a question of whether they are strong enough to challenge Manchester City because being strong enough to build on fifth place is one thing, but being strong enough to get 90 plus points and challenge Man City is is another. It's really tough to make. You know, Liverpool have been so good for, for much of the last five years and, and won one league title in that time. That's the standard. It's, it's, it's a standard that's never been set before in English football. Premier League era, not before Premier League era. It's it's an incredible standard, incredible level you have to reach in terms of consistency and results. Whether they're ready to hit that level, I don't know. I guess the one crumb of comfort for, for Liverpool from the weekend is is that Manchester City lost at, at Wolves, which was, again, something people didn't really see coming. I mean, I, I was at Luton seven days earlier and I watched Wolves pretty much stink the place out. They were terrible. Uh, I wouldn't have said they were a team that looked like they were going to turn Man City over, but um, yes, they did. And um, maybe it tells you that you know it's not going to be another 100-point season for, for Man City. Maybe it's going to be merely a 95, 93-point season, whatever, but they are still going to take some catching. So if, if Liverpool are to be good enough to challenge, they can't afford many more setbacks, you know, despite how harsh Sesto might have felt. Yeah, um, just just finally on this one, uh, James, um, and just touching on what Ollie said about the defence, it does, I mean, everything does seem to be working well, but defensively, I still think there's a fair bit of work to be done f- from Liverpool, only one clean sheet in nine games. And I'm going to use my producer's words here. Goals, win games, clean sheets, win titles. Can Liverpool flick that switch in, in, in terms of defence defensively? Yeah, I, I do think that is probably the one question mark against it, because I think, you look at that midfield and the way in which it's been rebuilt and you think, yeah, that that is certainly good enough. The top end of the pitch, as we talked about, you know, I, I think is better than anything else around. But it's, yeah, that, that's the question mark, whether, you know, I, I think the signs are there that are quite promising. I think Gomez is enjoying a bit of a resurgence. You know, Joel Matip, take away what happened to him at the death on Saturday. I think he's been better. But the thing with Matip and Gomez is quite often the, the question marks around fitness. Can they can they actually be available week in week out? I think that's it's it's not really so much a, a quality thing as as just you know the, the, those who have missed so much football. When you, when you think like Gomez has now played 180 games for Liverpool, and he, you know he's been a, he's, he's the longest serving player in the squad. I mean, he, he's the only one in that squad that predates Klopp's arrival eight eight years ago. Um, which shows you, you know, how stop-start his Liverpool career has been. I think Van Dijk, I thought, was exceptional on the weekend. There's signs of him getting back um, to his best. Canate misses a lot of football as well. I think that's so. It's that that's the thing that where the question mark is. We've seen young Gerald Kwanzaa, uh, an academy graduate, you know, get some football already this season, and I think he's going to be needed to step up, and that's a big ask. So, so yeah, there's. There's certainly some doubt there, but I think you could probably. I think the thing is this season when you look around the Premier League, I don't. Man City don't look quite the force they were. I don't think you know Arsenal haven't haven't looked you know massively impressive or you know so far this season. So I think I, I don't think you need to be quite as perfect as probably you needed to previously. And obviously Liverpool know that to their cost, having 
scored mid nineties in terms of points totals and missed out on the title by by a point on two occasions. Okay, fantastic. Gents, let's leave it there. Thanks, James. Thanks, Ollie. And don't forget you can also sign up to the Athletic today for a special limited time offer for just one pound a month for twelve months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was AD Moorhead. To listen to other great athletic football podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places and head to theathletic.com slash football pod for the very latest subscription offers. The Athletic Football Podcast is an athletic media company production. The Athletic. <laughs>